This is Michael Reinhardt, welcoming you to the U.S. National Privacy and Cybersecurity Podcast. We are led by our two hosts, Jerry Buckley and Jody Westby. This podcast is sponsored by the Association for Data and Cyber Governance. The association offers a 50% discount on membership to our podcast listeners when they go to www.adcg.org and use code POD. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and please feel free to leave us a rating or comment. This is Jody Westby, and I'm here with my co-host, Jerry Buckley. Today, we are honored to have as our guest, Jordan Fisher, the director of the Center for Law and Transformational Technology and assistant teaching professor of law at Drexel University's Thomas R. Klein School of Law. The center is new. It was formally announced on September 8, 2021, and was launched with a startup grant from the Green Family Foundation. Jordan, you focus your research on data privacy and cybersecurity, bringing an interdisciplinary approach to teaching. You explore the convergence of the law and technology, researching the practical implications of regional data protection regulations within a backdrop of the global economy. That's a great starting point for today's podcast. Let's start by asking you about that very core issue. What have you found are the practical implications of regional data protection laws in a global economy? And what's your plan for extending this examination in the center? Well, first of all, I want to thank both Jody and Jerry for having me on today. Incredibly excited to talk about issues that are really near and dear to me and my practice. Um, And so I love this first question, which is what are those practical implications? Um, Because it really dovetails nicely into the goals of the center. And the biggest practical implication that I currently see is that this is a multidisciplinary challenge. This is not a technical challenge. It's not a legal challenge. It's not an operational challenge. It really requires that all of the stakeholders within an organization sit together at the same table and discuss these technical legal challenges that either currently exist or are coming down the pike because of evolution and entrepreneurship in technology. And that's really why we created this center at the Klein School of Law. It was to create a space where many different disciplines could come together to have conversations around technology, the role of the law, the impact of the technology and the law on business operations, and really to think through the ramifications of what that was going to look like. So our goal at the center, while we sit in the law school itself, is really to be more than just a legal discourse. It's really meant to explore conversations with our partners in engineering, our partners in computer science, our partners in the business school, because we really view this as a very unique challenge to businesses to address technology, privacy, and security in what is a very dynamic space. So that's really, in a nutshell, what our goal is. It's great that you are interacting with the students from those other various colleges, because it's one thing to sit there and and look at this from a multidisciplinary perspective, bringing in people from business or other backgrounds. But to bring in the students, that's what's really been missing. And 
you know, it's great you're sort of jump starting this global conversation again at the center because I remember in the late 90s after the data privacy protection directive, the data protection directive in the EU. And then about five years ago when GDPR was coming out, how vibrant the conversations were about global issues around the privacy space. So it's great that that that's starting to get reinvigorated at your center. Let me bring Jerry in. Uh, Well, thank you, Jody. And uh, Jordan, let me join in welcoming you and congratulations on the launch last month, I guess two months ago now, of the Center for Law and Transformational Technology. It's a great concept, and I am sure that the law school and the other schools at Drexel will benefit by it. It's really a great concept. It's a pleasure to host you and learn about new initiatives and recognize the importance of the intersection of law and technology. We've been looking at these issues for the past year on this podcast, as you may have heard if you listen to any of our prior episodes. But I have to say, we've only begun to scratch the surface. Which are the areas that you think have the greatest intersection of law and technology, privacy or cybersecurity or both? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to take the both <laughs> approach. And I think it's because you really can't have privacy or cybersecurity sit in very separate domains because they interrelate, they interplay between each other and really require that you have a team that understands both concepts. Maybe not at the deepest level. You can certainly have a privacy team and a cybersecurity team. But I think understanding, be able to, to talk each other's language, translate back and forth is really key. And so the privacy laws really are driving such a large amount of the conversation, both within the United States and globally right now, but they all have some cyber components to them. Uh, The GDPR has the reasonable technical and organizational measures. It also has the privacy breach notification requirements. The U.S. for many years has had breach notification laws, and we're seeing those be referred to in the privacy laws. The California Consumer Privacy Act is a great example of sort of that interrelation and that interplay. And so I really think both of them are really driving a lot of the intersection of law and technology. Now, that being said, I think a component of privacy that sort of really changes the discussion is that in a way that cybersecurity never did, privacy is really reaching in and saying, it's not only how you protect the data, it's how you use the data. It's how you obtained the data. So it's requiring more of the organization to really think through their data management, whereas cybersecurity tends to rely more on the technical controls and really about securing that environment, setting up that perimeter and those logging and the auditing features within your system. So I think they both have a very strong connection to an intersection with technology, but in different ways and in overlapping ways, which just frankly adds to the dynamic, complex legal space that is technology law right now. And it's a fascinating area to be in, really. You know, I wouldn't mind, if I may, just ask a little bit about your own background that brought you to this. So that's a great question. I was incredibly fortunate that um, following law school, I clerked on the Court of Justice of the European Union for then Vice President Judge Kuhn Leonard, now the president of the court. 
And it was in 2013 that I was there. So this is pre-GDPR, but they had the EU directive in place that had these privacy components. And ironically, it just so happened when I was there, the cases that were in front of my judge had privacy overlays. And that's because privacy, unlike in the United States, privacy was already sort of an established legal right. It's a fundamental right within the EU legal infrastructure. And so I really got my introduction to privacy law very much from a European perspective. And then when I came back to the United States to practice, I just sort of recognized that privacy and security and technology was an area that was ripe for legal thought processes and an area that I think I just really enjoyed and have managed to create a practice out of. Well, you know, it is, I think we all on this call agree, one of the most dynamic areas of the law right now. Terribly relevant in terms of personal freedoms, terribly relevant in terms of security, both of our country, our companies, and ourselves. And because it's changing quickly, because thinking is evolving, it's really a very, very interesting area to be in. And you, you bring that international perspective and you have insights in the differences of approach to privacy between the United States and the European Union. Could you share your thoughts about these approaches and the practical implications you think the U.S. Congress should consider in its privacy discussions? Yeah, it's a really, I love that we all recognize the dynamic space uh, that is security and privacy. And I think you hit the nail on the head because it's so impactful. There's so many stakeholders who are impacted by privacy considerations, by technology. And what is really unique when you look at the difference between the US and the EU, what's really unique is that the EU has a very strong foundational legal support for privacy. And that is there's a recognition of a fundamental right to privacy. Um, fundamental right to privacy, both against corporations, individuals, the government, et cetera. When you turn to the United States, we don't see that same strong foundation for privacy in the United States. We certainly see that under the Fourth Amendment when it comes to government privacy, so privacy vis-a-vis the government. But a lot of the considerations we see now in the media and the discussions going on are more around collection of data by corporations or private entities and their subsequent use of that data, either by themselves or by third parties. And that's this gap that we really have in the U.S. legal system. And so I think when we sit down to think about how to approach privacy in the United States, we first have to really ask ourselves, what is privacy? And what are we actually trying to support here? And in so many ways, the EU already had that conversation which has allowed them to go further, quicker in this conversation. Now, that's not to be said that the EU has figured it all out. I think there's a lot of operational challenges to privacy that we're seeing under the GDPR. But I do think sitting back and understanding what do we mean by privacy vis-a-vis corporations? How do we want to establish this between individuals is really a key conversation that we need to see our policyholders have. You know, Jordan, listening to you, I'm just brought back again to the beginning of the privacy debate, which was the global nature of companies and cross-border data flows. I mean, that was the big thing when the data protection directive came about. And now we have in the U.S. states, certainly California, Colorado, and Virginia, who are moving us toward the GDPR. We have Congress that is doing very little at the moment. 
and the Department of Commerce that is trying to maintain the status quo by negotiating another privacy shield. Let me ask you, are the international tensions and economic pressures facing global companies going to be enough to move the privacy needle in the U.S. or not? I think we're already seeing the answer to that with the number of states who have adopted privacy legislation that has very GDPR-like components or are considering that. I think that is the best evidence that we have currently in the U.S. that privacy and the conversation around privacy is certainly changing. Now, one thing to be very aware of is that while California, Colorado, Virginia, whichever those next states might be in the coming months, have leveraged aspects of GDPR, they are still very U.S. feeling laws. They're not GDPR. They're not adopting GDPR into the U.S. system. They're U.S. laws that are leveraging components that can be aligned to GDPR, but they're very different. And so I think what we're seeing is different flavors of privacy laws that do model off of the GDPR be adopted in the U.S. And a lot of that is tensions from their EU partners for sure. But I think it's also this growing dialogue among the users of these platforms around privacy and privacy awareness. I think the backlash against some of the larger tech companies, such as Facebook, Google, Amazon, etc., from users is already demonstrating that sort of cultural shift. And part of this could be for the last year and a half, we've all lived in a technological bubble. And I think started to recognize the amount of us that we are giving up to that technological bubble. But I do think it's a combination of, you know, the rest of the world beyond even the EU is moving towards some form of a comprehensive privacy legislation. So you look in Asia, Australia, South America, and Brazil, the Middle East, there's all these privacy laws that are coming out. So there's partially this international tension and this international drive towards privacy. But I think also just us as users are becoming more informed and asking questions and wanting privacy in a way that we probably never have before. Yeah, the little guy is getting heard more than ever before. Back in the beginning debates, the consumer really didn't have much of a voice. It was lost in the wind. But now it certainly uh, is carrying the day. And it makes me wonder, we just negotiated a global tax agreement. Tax, one of the hardest issues to get agreement on. Why couldn't we do a global privacy agreement? It seems like it'd make it easier. Let me bring this back over to Jerry. Well, you know, uh, Jody, just an observation on tax treaties. The devil is in the loopholes. And <laughs> how they are implemented on a uniform basis. The other observation I'd make vis-a-vis the little guy is some of the big guys are also getting involved in competitive issues. And, you know, I, we don't have time to talk about it, but the, the very recent inquiry from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau to the big tech companies saying what you are doing is offering a financial services product and that uh, it's not fair that you don't have to live by the same rules as the financial institutions. And people don't really understand the nature of what you're offering. And I think we'll cover that in another uh, podcast. But there is, uh, I think it'll move the needle because there is this inter-industry competition that is also going to be a part of the privacy debate. But Jordan, you have a private practice uh, and you're working with companies. 
on these issues. What do your client, what's their perspective on the hardest issues for companies to manage between privacy and cybersecurity? Yeah, so I think there's there's three really core issues that I see private entities struggling with. And so the first of those issues is really understanding why this matters. You know, for companies that are in healthcare or financial, they're traditionally regulated companies. They get it. They understand compliance. They understand the need to drive towards regulations and to address that. But for many companies, privacy and security is the first time they're even considering standing up compliance regimes. And so it takes a lot just to explain what that is going to mean for the business, who is going to be needed to run those programs. And so you're really teaching compliance to a lot of companies, and this is their first foray into it. And that leads to my second issue or challenge that I see a lot of companies facing, which is they feel like they're trying to hit an end goal that keeps changing. So if a company started building in 2018 a GDPR compliance program, it's not going to happen in a day. It's not going to happen in a month. That can take a very long period of time. And let's say it took them two years. Well, in that two years, we had the California Consumer Privacy Act come into effect. And now we have Virginia and we have Colorado and we have Brazil and we have Canada potentially updating our law. And so they feel like overwhelmed by the number of changes, the the changing end goal, that they can't even visualize what this is going to look like because it feels very large and cumbersome and not quite settled. And so it's really hard for them to get their hands around it, especially when this is their first time into compliance. And then my third sort of challenge that I really see a lot of companies facing when it comes to privacy and cybersecurity is operationalizing it. I think it's one thing to say, we're going to take privacy seriously. But it's another thing to make it part of your day-to-day operations, to prioritize it at the necessary level for a company. Prioritize one from a resource perspective and from a financial perspective. And it gets into the minutia. It makes companies review their operations from a data and technology perspective in a way that they probably never did. I like to, whenever I'm sitting down with someone, I say, you think you sent an email and I think you sent 50 data points in an electronic format. And there's all that data that we have to account for from a data privacy perspective. So operationalizing it after you've gotten that buy-in as to why we're doing this and sort of recognizing that it's gotta be a living and breathing and evolving program operationalizing it, I think, is a huge challenge for companies because they really just have never thought about privacy or cybersecurity. You're preaching to the choir, I guess I should say. <laughs> Singing from the same song sheet as Jody and I. And in fact, as Jody, in fact, Jody, had, and I know you're working on educational efforts. Jody has developed a, a course that's offered through the uh, Association for Data and Cyber Governance that sponsors these podcast episodes. And it takes the exact approach you're talking about. It recognizes that we're talking about data. We're not just talking about privacy. We're not just talking about cybersecurity. We're talking about data that is the lifeblood of the company and how it's handled. It's not just a compliance issue. It goes to the essence of the company. And, you know, I'm saying the words that, and probably not saying them nearly as well as, as Jody could. But Jody. You know, I want to go back 
to a global view because I was so excited. Just a week ago, on October 22nd, the G7 trade ministers agreed to digital trade principles, which I thought was a long overdue step and one to be celebrated. I began my legal career advising companies on these kinds of developments. And so this really revved me up. And just for as a reminder for our listeners, the G7 is US and Canada. And then across the pond, we have France, Germany, Italy, and UK, and then reach over to Japan. We kicked out Russia, so it's now just the G7. But they agree to these digital trade principles, and they include sections on data free flow with trust and safeguards for workers, consumers, and businesses. So Jordan, this is right up your alley, and I know you've looked at these too. We'd love for you to tell our readers about these sections of the digital trade principles and how you can see them impacting privacy and security in international discussions in these areas. Well, first of all, I think this is a great first step in having what is going to be a very long and complicated and complex conversation internationally around data. And this is talking about digital trade data generally. So not all this data is personal data, which is what the GDPR and the CCPA and other privacy regulations are really driving towards. This could be business data, intellectual property data. There's a lot of different components that are intended to be encompassed generally within these digital trade principles. But I think what is really great is a recognition that Data is a high-value asset to our digital economy. They make that point numerous times throughout these principles. We recognize that we need to have free flow of data to support our digital economy. It's in the benefit of all members to not put up jurisdictional boundaries and restrictions to the free flow of that data. And included in that is both sort of the non-personal data as well as the personal data. So I think that's one really key takeaway is a recognition of the value of data and the value of data in such a way that it could drive the conversation, right? Money talks. (laughs) And I think that's what really comes out of these digital trade principles. The second thing is a recognition that while all these different countries might be coming to data differently, they do all support that there has to be some constraints, some type of principles that are going to guide the collection and use of that data. So the free-for-all collection of data, I think, is coming to an end. We're going to have something in most jurisdictions. What that something is going to look like, and I think we'll go back to like the devils in the details, the devils in the exemptions, is going to be really interesting. But I think this shows a commitment and a recognition that this needs to be part of the international conversation it needs to be addressed. These different regional interpretations, these regional approaches are going to hinder the free flow of data. And therefore, there needs to be some form of understanding. And I think that's a really great step forward. Again, though, the devil's going to be in the details and exactly what is agreed to, whether that be between different countries or regions, i.e. the EU and the US continually have conversations right now about data flowing between the EU to the United States. That's going to be really key, but this is a great first step. It really is. It's really exciting. Jerry, back to you. Well, thank you. And it'll be fascinating to watch those discussions because in an evolving area to get so many disparate players 
on the same page. <laughs> it really will be uh, a, a, quite a challenge, it seems. But I want to, you know, we're coming to the end of our, our time. Jordan, this has been very, very helpful. And uh, first of all, congratulations again on the launch of the center. And uh, I know it's in very good hands with you being there. And I want to thank you for the insights you've shared with us today. It's been very useful. Thank you for joining us this week on the U.S. National Privacy and Cybersecurity Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy the show and want more content on the issues we cover, you can visit adcg.org. The Association for Data and Cyber Governance is the leading association connecting all aspects of data management, cybersecurity, and governance. Our listeners can use code POD at checkout for 50% off membership. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.